1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're looking at the first 13 verses. We're making some progress. I've got past, I do not want you. That's not Freudian. All right. Let's read this and ask the Lord to teach us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. So that we do not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Do not let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, he who, <clears throat> let him who thinks he stands take heed, he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such, is, such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Father, we lay this time before you. We ask you to teach us. Father, I ask that our hearts be open and receptive, and Father, that I would hear. Father, that this would be a part of our lives, that we would understand and we would rejoice. And Father, we had bowed to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, as our brother Isaiah has already said, here we are, Lord, use us. To you, my Father, you alone, in Christ's name, amen. We're dealing with an issue that starts in chapter 8, verse 1. And it concludes with chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Okay, now listen, when I read a text like that, that verse 1 of 11, that's not put in there to frustrate me. I'm I'm still struggling with that in Christendom today because the Apostle Paul said that he was an imitator of who? And, And I struggle with people that say, but you don't understand, I'm a man. Yeah, you are. All right, you are of flesh. But I also understand who our Creator is. And he does not put this stuff in there because he believes that your flesh has the ability to overthrow his power. It is a matter of, do I want to adhere? Okay, Am I willing to set my mind on the things above, or do I prefer to set my, th- my mind on the things that are around me, the things below? Right? It's a decision. And it's a moment-by-moment decision. And the Christian, infused with the person of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to overcome which sin? No, wait a minute. I didn't, you didn't sound that positive about that. It's, well, you know, the great big meanings all love them ones. Okay? You've got to ask yourself. See, I watch Christians get mad at lost people because they act sinful. How else would you expect them to act? I get mad when I see Christians acting sinful. Why? They have the ability to overcome. They have the ability to obey. Again, it comes back and there's a lot that deals with it. But what happens to a Christian once you learn that you have the power source that only spoke existence into being, he indwells you, He is in the process of molding you, conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. You have nothing to bring to it. You are an earthen vessel. Then it is simple to die to self. 
It is no longer I who live, but it is only Christ who lives in me. Why? Because then all that happens is God just blesses your proverbial socks off. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. What's lacking? Nothing. When you step into that understanding, this great huge light comes on. And you start grasping, I am free in Christ. I have a freedom that the world pursues at every avenue they can that they only become in bondage to that freedom. Yet me as a child of God, we as children of God, are free from this world. Did you ever think about this? Um, We've got some people in our body who have health problems. Uh, Bing Solomon is terminal with cancer, and there's some other things that are happening in this body of people. But do you ever think about this? Because you are a child of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're only immortal. Did you know that? Do you know, uh, last March, I, I had the privilege of going to Israel. And uh, people were asking me, well, is that smart? And my response was, I'm immortal. I can't leave this earthen vessel until God says, come home. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Yet, think about today, how many people you will see that will deal with How can I keep myself healthy? You know, I'm having this problem, this health problem. I'm dealing with this health problem. I'm dealing with this health problem. You ever thought about that? Did he vanquish death? Only my wife agrees with that one. Hallelujah. All right. The rest is, I'm not sure. All right. But do we understand that? If I have a freedom that I never have to worry about death, what is the rest of lost humanity worried about? Okay, but in our freedoms, there are responsibilities, the responsibilities. When we've looked at it in chapter eight, we looked at it. There are priorities for Christian uh, freedom. There are limits to Christian freedoms. We've seen some illustrations of Christian freedom. But then he steps into chapter 10. He says, I need to warn you about your Christian freedom. Why? He says, because Israel received their freedom. And how did they respond? We've had a chance uh, to, some of us in this body have had a chance to minister in some of the jails and to some prisoners. And my response to prisoners is always the same. It's a piece of cake to walk with Jesus Christ in jail or prison. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do. The key happens when freedom arrives. What happened to Israel when freedom arrives? Okay. You've got to understand we're coming out of the context of verse 27. I discipline my body and make it my slave. Ask yourself a question this day. Who serves whom? Okay. When you think about your day, the day-to-day grind... Okay? I'm not talking about the mundane. I'm talking about the stuff that's just over and over and over. Yeah, 8 to 5, Monday to Friday, rush hour. I do this, I do that. Who serves whom? Are you a slave to your body? Or do you buffet your body, box it, bruise it, beat the stew out of it so that your body serves you? Why? I do this so that after I have preached to others, I am not disqualified. Okay? That's what we're dealing with. That's the text that we're dealing with. The Apostle Paul says, you need to understand, it is possible to be saved. Please hear me close. And yet, be absolutely useless to God to disqualify. You ladies are studying um, 1 John. And there's a text in 1 John that says, the sin that leads unto death. Okay, and of course everybody says, well, you, we're, he's talking about lost people. No, he's not. He's talking about Christians committing a sin that disqualifies them in such a way that they die. Well, that sounds harsh. Look at chapter 11 of this book. 
Paul said, some of you are taking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, and some are very ill, and some have fallen asleep. And if you go look up what he's talking about of falling asleep, he says you died. Second Timothy says that in God's house, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. We've already looked in this text where he says, are you building with precious stone, gold, silver, or are you building with wood, hay, and stubble? Okay. Did you know, according to 2 Timothy, that there are Christians in the church today who are doing the will of Satan in the church? Okay, pop quiz. Is that a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Okay. And so he says, do you not understand? Verse 11. Now these things happen to them as examples and they were written for us. Upon Read that last phrase. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Do you know that the church age is the conclusion? It's all over. And there's an amazing parallel in the Exodus picture and in the church age picture. And that's what we're dealing with. We've looked at this. Assets of freedom is what we've begun in. First, I do not want you to be unaware. Why? Because I want you to remember Israel. I want you to realize that Israel for 400 years had been slaves. Okay? You need to understand this. Listen, they didn't have a Bible. Please understand. There is no law. Okay? There's no temple. They're all trying to get to where? The promised land. They knew of the promise that Lord had, that the Lord God had promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that they had a promised land coming. And yet for 400 years, they were literally the tools of the Egyptian. That's it. Tools of the Egyptian. And he says, but you have been released. How many were released from that slavery? All of them. They were released for a purpose. God took them out of Egypt across the Red Sea, right? And then Moses went where? Top of the mountain. And what did he receive? The word of the Lord. Why? Because he says, all of you have come out of slavery. You have come out of a position you had absolutely no ability to bear witness of me. You had no idea who I am. You had no idea of my standards. You have no idea of the person that I am, my character, my nature, nor my power. And my power starts that I will take all of you out of captivity, bondage, slavery. I will remove you because I want you to be a living testimony to the world of who I am. And my power has brought you out. You have been released. You are free. And now I give you the word so that you can take the word and do what with it? Yeah, there it is. Why? I literally can live a life that bears testimony of the existence, the power, the majesty, and the exaltation that is due the creator of the universe. That's what he said to Israel. Why? It's an example to who? To those whom the end of the age has come. Who would that be? Us Gentiles. Paul's point in this text is that God has called the church to be a witnessing community. You have been taken out of bondage. You this day who are saved have been set free. You've been set free in a world to be a community that communicates, that shares the truth. And yet you are to be a unified witness. You are literally a nation stuck right in the middle of the wilderness. 
Okay? If, if you read your text and you, you, in 1 John, you ladies are studying that, you say, do not love the world or the things of the world. Why? Because if I love the world and the things of the world, what does the world see in me? Themselves. Themselves. There is a danger that what happened to Israel can happen to some of us. Okay, now listen. I want you to be aware of this. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this text says. Okay? This nation, this called out group of people became useless to God. And you know what God did? Got some others. He just got some others. These were witnesses of God. They received the things of God. They were to persevere in the power of God. They were to pass on the word of God. And do you know what their purpose was? Now, grab this because there's a parallel here that just freaks me out. Okay? Now, understand, up until Moses goes on the mountaintop, there is no Bible. Okay? And they were given the Bible. They were given the Word of the Lord. Weren't they? And I mean, God says, I'm going to make it easy. I'm only going to give you ten. Okay? But if you'll look, you'll see just before entering Canaan, they received what is called the second law. Do you know what the second law is? Deuteronomy. Why? Because as you take possession of this land that I give you, This is how you are to act. Why? Because I want all of the world to see my people. I want all the world to know my people. I want all the world to see my manifestation among humans. Exodus, what happened in the Exodus was God preparing the way for Messiah. What's the church doing? Grab that. Why are you here? Did you ever think of it from that perspective? You have the word of God. You've been witnesses of God. You've seen the power of God. You've tasted of the Holy Spirit. You've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. You have seen the body of Christ. You have seen it work. You have seen it manifested before your very eyes. You've seen changed lives. And you know why? Because you're preparing the way for Messiah. That's cool. I mean, that just freaks me out. I am walking in a pattern, in a path, in a purpose that says, by the way, Messiah is coming. Each Israelite, in addition to his own personal faith, had a marvelous privilege of being a part of a nation that was God's witness. They literally manifested the Lord. Remember when they were getting ready to go into the promised land, there was the harlot in Jericho? And she hid two Jewish spies, Israelite spies. Why did she hide them? She knew of their God and the wonders that their God had done in the lands that the Jews had walked in. Has God changed? You know what's tragic about God not changing? Neither has man. Neither has man. If man had changed, then this warning wouldn't even be in Scripture. But there is a warning here. When they all left, they weren't all believers. Were they? No. Okay. There's another warning in Romans chapter 9 verse 6. Not all Israel is really Israel. Jesus himself said that the kingdom, that the body of Christ, this mystery that I am getting ready to open before your eyes, will have wheat and tear. They will be sheep and 
goats. There will be many call me Lord, Lord. Not only will there be many call him Lord, Lord, there will be many who will be doing works for him. And he will say, I never knew you. They're leaving Egypt is not synonymous with salvation. Please understand that. Okay? Because if they do, if that's synonymous, then you have a bunch of people losing their salvation in the desert. And that don't happen. Okay? Some say entering into Canaan with salvation. Um, I don't even like to push that because Achan is sort of a bummer there. Okay? And if you don't know who Achan is, then you need to read it. Okay? Listen, when you take the community that came out of Egypt, some believed, some didn't. Okay? Yet that all that you see five times in the first four verses is all that left. Okay? In the wilderness, all but two became disqualified for service. Okay? Conservative numbers puts it at 1.5 million. A generation was lost. Because whether they were saved or not, they were unfaithful. Okay? Now, I want you to think about something here. Because I was, as I was looking at this, they refused to serve the Lord. And one of the outcomes was they fell into sin. Okay? If, if you see John's text, First John's text where it says, Do not love the things of the world or the ways of the world. Why? Because many, what, antichrists have already left us. You know what that says? If I'm doing it my way, then I am doing it opposite of somebody else's. Whose would that be? Christ. And what happens to a person who decides they're going to do it their way? They walk away from the body dynamic. They walk away from the church. Why? I want to do it my way. They now begin building feverishly with wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble. Now watch what it says here. A strange statement. I want to show you this, all right? They were all under the cloud. They were all all passed through the sea. Then in verse 2. And all were baptized into Moses. Listen, we're in a Baptist church. When you read that, what do you think about? They were all baptized into Moses. What do you think about? They just got dunked in the old jacuzzi, right? Or sprinkled or something. Okay, listen, you can't get stuck on the symbol here. Please don't. All right. Some say this would refer to a physical baptism. They went through the sea. Okay? Some say that the cloud, we have known that the cloud would have rained on them. So I look at that. When I read those kind of commentaries or hear that kind of teaching, I think, well, what we've got are Baptist Israelites and Presbyterian Israelites. Some were immersed and some were sprinkled. Right? Here's the problem. If you were a Baptist Israelite, ask yourself this question. How wet did they get? No, they were on dry land, brothers and sisters. They did not get baptized. Okay? And I know for a fact that they didn't get sprinkled. That cloud was not full of rain. That cloud was full of God. All right, at night that cloud turned into a pillar of fire. Not a lot of water there. All right? So when you start taking that mindset, you start going, wow, man, what, what the heck was going on? Paul would have had in mind the understanding of the Corinthians. What would they have understood? Baptism this very day is the same thing as it was in the Corinthian church. It is an identification. In the Christian mindset, real baptism is the single most important thing in life. I have been baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. I have been baptized into the, please hear me, the body of Christ. I am in union with Christ. I have been buried with Him, Romans 6 says. But I have been raised to walk in the what? Newness of life. 
If you're not walking in the newness of life, ask yourself a question. Have I been buried with him? Because God doesn't give a qualifier. He doesn't say, I will bury you and I hope, cross my fingers, that you will walk in a new life. He says, if you have been buried with him in death, then you have been raised to walk in a new life. It ain't a game. It is when you see a person go under, they are saying the old person has been buried. How buried? All the way. And the new person, all the way, is what? Walking with Christ. You died with him. You rose with him. You live and his life lives through you. What does it look like? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23 says, It is only the fullness of Christ. That's what it looks like. We've already looked at it, brothers and sisters. Chapter 6 verse 17. He that is joined to the Lord is one. No, it's two spirits because I have my spirit and I have Lord's spirit. That's not what the Bible says. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. When you were saved, you were identified with Christ. Water baptism is a public demonstration that says, I identify my life as in union with Jesus Christ. The life you see in me is but... Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a second. How many people do you know claim the name Jesus Christ and you've never seen Christ in them? He says, many will call me Lord, Lord. Listen, when you see a Christian, you see one person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The symbols of this union, baptism, the symbol of this union, the baptizing is a symbol that I identify with Christ. I am immersed in Christ. Why? What I am clothed in is Christ. What I am united in is Christ. When people see me, they see Christ. And you know what's amazing about that? Man, it's just so cool. How many Christians did that happen to? Every one of them. Right? So if that's happened to you, then you know what that makes you and me? One. Uno. Didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Isn't that a card game? Uno. <laughs> Do you see that? That's why, remember what this book started with? He says, how in the world can you have divisions and schisms in the body of Christ? We have a new term for it. It's called cliques. How can you have cliques in the body of Christ? You've got to get a hold of this. You've got to embrace this. Why? Because that unity that came out of captivity. Did you know that every one of you was a slave at one time? Some of you say, I don't know. Slave? Yes, slaves have to. I can't even quit my job. I have to be sold. Um, When you came out of that bondage of your flesh, of the principalities and powers of this world, When you came out of that, you immediately unified with the body of believers that is called the church. That's not optional. I struggle with Christians who say, I'm not interested. I really struggle with that. All right? That defies Bible. Why? Because we're united. It isn't, you know, I see, we call ourselves the brethren. But you know what? We're one. 
We are one and all of us together are nothing but the manifestation of the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. That's all we are. That's all we are. Every Christian is one with him. So we are one with every Christian. Okay? We who are one with Him are one with everybody else that is one with Him. You can't separate it. We are all identified together in a community under the headship of Jesus Christ. Now you understand why the writer of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some. Do you understand why he says that now? Baptism means that we are all the body. The head is Christ. We identify with each other. Christ is the leader. That's what Paul is saying here when he says you were baptized into Moses. The act of coming out of Egypt and the act of all together, they were all identifying with who? Moses. Why? Moses said, the I am sent me. And listen, when they were getting ready to leave Egypt, they had a decision to make. Do I want to go or not? They all came out. They all identified. Those who came out, they followed his headship. They followed his leadership. And they identified with him. And that's what Paul is saying. Those entering into the church, truly, who is baptized by the Spirit of the living God, enters into an assembly of the wilderness. And you all came to a sea. And you're all under a cloud. And you're all accepting Moses as the leader. That's what the Jews are saying. My question is this. If I come into the body of Christ, am I accepting the leadership? If I come into the body of Christ, do I accept the accountability? If I come into the body of Christ, do I accept the privilege? If I come into the body of Christ, do I accept all that is demanded of me? If I come into the body of Christ, is it something that I'm willing to devote myself to? Because let me tell you something. Listen, there was a bunch of them. I understand that grumbling text. You know what they were grumbling about? I want to go back to Egypt. I want to eat onions and leeks. Yay. Garlic. You got to put garlic on your onions. All right? I mean, you could have smelled that group coming through the wilderness, couldn't you? <laughs> onions and garlic. And I don't, even, I don't even like to think about what a leek is. Okay? But do you see what I'm saying? They started grumbling after the sea covered up Pharaoh's army. What did God do? Struck a whole bunch of them dead just like that. Why? I didn't ask you to do it your way. I asked you to do it my way. What does the body of Christ look like today? As a Christian accepts Christ as a head. Now grab this. I want you to think about this. There is an identification, if you want to use this illustration, this context, as a nation as a community, as a fellowship, as a believing, witnessing group. Right? Under whose headship? Be careful. When you come into salvation, under whose headship are you? Let me ask you this. What part of that headship do you want? I'll be frank. I see many today who only want God as Savior. But let me explain something to you. In yours or my understanding, 2,000 years ago, he became Savior. Do you know what he was before then? Lord. Okay? I got to ask you a question. Do you believe that God's doing it the way He wants to do it? Or are you doing it the way you believe God wants to do it? 
Let me tell you something. Being in the, in the church, in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is the single most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life. Because to be in the body of Christ, you have to step into a realm that Jesus called the greatest man ever born of woman accomplished this. Do you know what that is? John the Baptist who he's talking about. But do you know why John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of woman? One statement. One statement. I must decrease, he must increase. What room for pride or self is there in the body of Christ? You know what the greatest problem that exists in the body of Christ today is? It's simple. Now listen. <clears throat> brings us, baptism brings us into the leadership of Christ and participation. All right? With those Jews, the events of the Exodus brought them under the leadership of Moses. Listen, anybody who doesn't want to could say, I ain't going. There was many, even relatives, who came against him in the wilderness. God dealt with it. If any of you show up with leprosy, we'll know why. Okay? But understand this. If I chose to stay in Egypt, they cut themselves off from the community that was under the leadership of Moses. Which... In the vernacular today, if I choose not to follow the leadership of the body and how the body works, then what did you do? You cut yourself off from the leadership of who? Not the elders, not the pastor, of Christ. Of Christ. You've got to understand that. I see people who get mad and say, I don't want to be in that church because it does this or it does that, or I don't like, and I do that. And you know what you're saying? I don't want Jesus' leadership in my life anymore. Or I'm being led. Let me tell you something. If you cut yourself off from the leadership of Jesus Christ, who's leading? You are. And you're blaming Jesus for it. A Christian is being called by God to serve and united with other believers as a witness, a witnessing community of the end of the age. In that community, there are many areas of blessing. We looked at one last week. I want to look at two real quick. If you look at it, it says they were baptized into Moses. They had submitted. They identified with the leadership of Moses. They identified the fact that, you know what? I believe that God is doing something through that guy. I'm following. Okay? Why? I mean, he takes his stick and waters and, gee, many crickets has never seen anything like it. All right? <coughs> but he says, in that community, I want you to think about this. Verse 3, how many ate of the spiritual food? Okay, the literal word there in the Greek is meat. Okay, if you back up to verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies, right? Therefore, verse 13, therefore, if a food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat what? Meat again. That's the word he uses there. So you see, he's still on the same thought. He says they all ate of the same meat. Okay? They all drank of the same drink. Now, let me ask you something. What is that showing you today? Who sustained the Jews? Who sustains the church? Who, why would you want to be separated from that? Just a question. There are many of you this day who would prefer to be separated from that. I am tired of this. This takes too long. 
He talks too much. It takes too much time. It cuts into what I'm doing. Really. How many of you are spiritually uh, anorexic? Oh, I know. Yeah, but Terry, you feed us so well on Sunday morning. I don't have to eat again until next Sunday. Right. Okay. I can go about 45 minutes without thinking about the word and I'm in trouble. Okay. I'm just, I'm just a little pig when it comes to spiritual food. They all ate of the same spiritual meat. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Holy Spirit water is sort of the way I look at that one. You know what? Sometimes it was out of a rock. Sometimes it was out of a stream. Sometimes it was out of a well. In many ways, and yet they were all provided by what? By God. You know what's amazing about these verbs in this? They're all imperfect. Okay? It doesn't mean that they are less than perfect. Okay, imperfect means that they had no completion. They were without finished, without completion. They were continually being fed. They were continually drinking to no end. You know what's cool about that? God never stopped supplying. Their literal lives were sustained by God. They were continually given water by the Spirit, and they were continually given meat. Okay? Okay, now grab that for a second. I want you to think about that. This is an example to who? To us. To us. Now, I want you to think about it because, and I want to wrap it up with this, but you need to understand an instance about this. This is not the essence of meat. This is not the essence of water. Okay, yes, I understand they were given manna, and I understand that they smacked the rock and a wild thing comes out. I understand all of that. That is the one he's given you here. Okay, he's not, the emphasis is not on the fact that they had it, the essence of it, the physical side of it. The emphasis is on the source of it. The word pneumocast is in there, the word that we get pneumatic from, that we get spirit from. So it was spiritual feeding. It was spiritual drinking. I can give you water and you will never thirst again, Jesus told the Samaritan woman. It's always there. And my question is, how many of us in this day and age don't want to eat, don't want to drink? Or I want to eat and drink on my terms. Do you know what happened when they complained about manna? God gave them birds, quails, all kinds of quails, billions of quails, all over the place quails, to the point that many of them just ate themselves sick. I was out with lunch with my son the other day, and they had catfish on the menu. And he says, I've never had catfish. And I said, yuck. And he says, well, I said, no, it's a good fish. It's just that I ate so much of it as a kid, I don't want to eat it no more. Okay, I mean, if I've got a choice between a hot dog and catfish, guess what? The dog dies. I don't like catfish. I mean, will you go bass fishing and all you'd catch was catfish? Okay, you, I mean, we got looking happy when we caught bluegills because you didn't catch a catfish. And we had it. We probably had it four or five times a week for oh so long. What was happening to a million and a half campers happily wandering around in the desert? I got manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna at supper time. And what did they do? I want some garlic and onions to go with my manna. God gave them birds. Why? He says, let me tell you something. I am providing for you. You are complaining for the provisions I give you. And I strike down 22,000 of you.
Now, I share that because I want you to understand something. These things happen as examples for us. Verse 5 and verse 11. How many times do I hear people saying, well, I would like to see this happen in the church. I would like to see this go out. Can we do this in the church? And can we do this? And I want to see this and I want to see that. And I'm sitting there going, manna and quail. I don't say that to people because they'd say, gosh, he's all ticked off about something. But ask yourself this simple question. It's not the physical part of it. That's why Paul says, tells Timothy, he says, and whatever you receive to eat or drink, give thanks. Give thanks. Why? Who provided it? Well, but he didn't provide it. I worked my 40 hours. And I, who gave you the intelligence to have a job? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the paycheck? Who gave you the the privilege of being in this country so you could work and sort of play it yourself. One of the things that's killing this country today is freedom. One of the things that's killing the church today is the freedom that the church has. Think about it, brothers and sisters. There are so many parallels in this thing. It drives me nuts. I could go on and on and on and on. Think about what we immerse ourselves in thinking that we're doing something spiritual. How many people are busy, busy about Jesus? And yet Jesus is like, I don't even want that done. (coughs) I want somebody in the nursery, Jesus said. Well, Lord, I'm praying. No, Jesus already said it. Go do it. Well, I'll fast. That ain't happening. I don't understand that. I just don't get it. The Bible says, follow me. Is it that complicated? Okay, where are you going? I'm going to take you places you don't want to go. Yep, I know. But I know that if I am with him, what needs are met? All of them. There was a time, and I'll give you this illustration and we'll conclude this. There was a time a few years ago that I, I had another family living with me. Okay, they had put themselves in a very bad place and God was literally ripping their hearts out and stomping on them. I hate to be so verbal, but that's exactly what was going on. They had no abilities, they had no jobs, and <clears throat> we were providing uh, basically water, electricity, uh, food, heat, and all the rest of it. And I was watching my grocery bill was running about 380 or 390 a week. And I remember sitting down and writing it all out on paper. I, I don't do the computer budget things and things because they give you warnings and all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I don't like warnings. <laughs> okay. And when it, Microsoft is afraid. <laughs> I'm not afraid. And I went down. I put it down on paper. I said, I don't have any idea how it worked. I have no idea whatsoever how it worked. I don't know how it worked. It the. The, the money in and the money out weren't even close. And yet we didn't incur any debt. I don't know how it worked. And, you know, I think about it. I had a person one time give me a, a half a beef. But I'm sitting there going, these people were with me almost two years. That's a big cow. <laughs> okay? How did it happen? God says, I'll sustain it. All right? They, a person in this room has not seen God's providence sustain them through something and yet as soon as the world throws one little thing at you what do you do what's the difference between that and the jews in the wilderness it's no difference and he says this is an example i want you to see this you need to embrace this their lives were sustained by god so let me ask you a question you see a picture of a believer here Did you understand that you who were saved this day are part of a witnessing community? That witnessing community only has its power when it's unified in the source of the whole. I got news for you. I don't have a ministry. Castle Rock Baptist Church has a ministry. That's it. And if you think that you can walk out and going to have your ministry and leave the church. But this is my ministry. My ministry ain't part of the church. What did you say? 
I'm going to do it my way. John says that is only antichrist. Okay? That sounds awful, doesn't it? But anti is against. And Christ. Okay? So anytime I say I'm going to do it my way, what you're saying is I don't want to be identified with the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the danger that the Apostle Paul is giving you and I this day on the limits of your Christian freedom. He doesn't say, now that you're free, just go and do whatever you want. We've already looked at it. I've shared you. We've looked at it. How does it affect others? And now we're looking at how does it affect me? Okay? There's sustenance here. We are sustained by God. Do you understand that we have all the resources necessary in this group? That's a good position to be in. But you know what's cool about it? There's more next week. Father, I give you the praise for your word. And thank you for my brother Paul and his faithfulness to you. Father, the path that he set and knowing that he was an imitator. Father, let us be imitators. And Father, let us pursue with a zeal you and you alone. Father, you be our focus. You be our sustenance. You be our provision. Father, we give you the praise for this time, for the season. Father, we give you the praise for the amazing things you're doing. Father, let us, in a time of affliction, in a time of testing, in a time of temptation, Father, let us draw upon our freedom that we have. We have been freed from the bondage of sin and flesh. Father, let us understand that our food and our drink are provided by you, both the physical, Father, and the spiritual. Father, may we only fall more in love with our Redeemer, our Provider, our Savior. To you, my Lord, and you alone, in Christ's name, amen.